Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Everybody doing all right? Good? Hey, if you were on fall break last week, we said terrible things about you behind your back last Sunday, but we're glad that you're back uh, there's others that are out still this week for the trip. No, we're kidding. We hope they had a great trip. We hope you had a great trip if you went. If you were here with us last week, you were here for the kickoff of our new series, ABCs of Financial Freedom. But uh, this three-week series, I said last week, I believe has the potential to literally change your life. I, and that's not preacher speak. It's not meant to be exaggeration. Uh, I really do believe that these three weeks have the power, have the potential to change your life. Not because of me or even the words that I would say, but because we believe that these are biblically based principles that can set you free in a lot of ways related to your personal finances. And what we said last week is that this is something that a lot of people struggle to talk about, and so we wanted to spend three weeks talking about it. But before I jump in, let me just reiterate one thing you just heard a second ago, that in two weeks we start at the movies. And if you weren't with us last fall when we did this, we spent four weeks in the fall using some of Hollywood's greatest stories to really tell the greatest story ever told, which is the story of Jesus Christ. And here's why we do that. We don't do that to be cute. We don't do that to be trendy. We really do it to give you a tool in your hands to get people to church that otherwise may not attend. There are some of your friends and family members that don't go to church church, they're outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, and for whatever reason, they just don't want to darken the doors of a church. They've been hurt before, they attended before, or they have an idea in their head of what it looks like. And so we want to give you a different tool than we do throughout the rest of our year. We do other things to try to resource you, invite them to this thing, come to this thing. But for at the movies, we really leverage some of Hollywood's greatest stories to tell, again, the greatest story ever told, which is the story of Jesus. And so those four weeks, beginning the first Sunday of October, all four weeks, we're going to try to add some different things in the lobby and some things in kids' life and some things in here, but we're going to present the gospel. And my prayer, and I want you to join me in this, my prayer is that there are people that you know and I know that will accept your invitation or my invitation to come to church one of those four weeks or all four weeks and be in this room and hear the gospel presented and really find the, the transforming power of life in Jesus Christ. So if you You'll pray with me about that and join me in inviting the people that you know and get, hey, my church is doing this thing about at the movies. You need to come. It's going to be great. They got popcorn. We'll still dip in dots from the kids. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. But you bring them and come. I think that all month long, first time guests are not getting the gift card that we've been giving out. They're getting a free movie ticket to the local movie theater. So we'd love to have you come. Bring them. They get a free ticket if they just show up. Uh, so we'd love to have them come. But today I'm excited about this ABCs of financial freedom. Again, we talked about the idea that we don't like to talk about money. And, and what I said last week, if you weren't here, is that the A of ABCs is our attitude. And so many of us have the wrong attitude related to God and money and what God says about our money. We have some preconceived ideas. We have some thoughts, perhaps, or maybe we think that he is so far disconnected from money and finances and what we would even think about that, that we don't really go to him related to our finances at all, but that our attitudes are lacking in this regard. And so we talked about, and, and I gave some very specific things about what our church believes about money. I talked specific numbers about our budget and our finances and our spending. I introduced some new staff members. So if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you, drop back, listen to the podcast. If you put it on one and a half times, you can listen to it in about 20 minutes. It won't take very long, so maybe on your commute. Uh, but I'd love to have you go and listen to that as we talked about this attitude, because what we said is that we all have a present financial picture. 
And that based on that wrong attitude or wrong belief or wrong thoughts so often, we don't know how to change our present financial picture to a more God-honoring financial picture. And so this week, as we, we move forward in these ABCs, I want to talk about the B in the middle there, and I want us to talk about bondage. And when I talk about bondage related to money, I'm talking about debt. Now, I recognize that maybe not everybody in the room has debt or is overwhelmed by debt, but statistics tell us that most Americans in some way or another are are touched by debt, and, and that stress of debt is an overwhelming emotion for many of us. Let me give you a few statistics. The 46% of American households have what they classify as large consumer debt, large consumer debt, 46% of households. The average student loan debt currently is just over $32,000 per person. Americans owe over $880 billion in credit card debt, and the average household that has credit card debt averages almost $16,000 in credit card debt. And, And... the average American currently is living on approximately 106% of their take-home income per year. 106%. Even if you're not good with math, let me just tell you, that means you're spending more than you're bringing in, right? And that's not sustainable long-term. 106% of our take-home income. I was reading this past week... I was doing a lot of study over these last few weeks preparing for this series, and I was reading an article that I found related to finances and the stress that it brings on to families. And there was one survey that was done, and out of the people in committed relationships that they surveyed, over 75% of people in committed relationships, so whether they're dating, engaged, or married, but they believe it's a committed relationship, over 75% of them said that if they had it to do over again, they would choose someone who was good with money over someone who was good looking. Now, in the first service, we had some folks elbowing going, oh, you hit the jackpot, I'm good at both, but, you know, not in this service, evidently. So all of you feel like you're in one category or the other. I don't know. There's just a more talented service before you, I guess. But the reality, committed relationships, they said, if I had it to do over again, I would choose someone who was good with money over someone that was... I would rather be with somebody that's dog ugly but knows how to balance a checkbook than somebody that I like looking at but can't add two cents together, right? So 75%, I mean, that's astonishing to me. But what we understand is that related to debt, it is bondage. It is something that binds up so many of us into stress and anxiety and worry and fear. And and we avoid phone calls and we don't open certain letters in the mailbox and we don't go certain, we switch doctors and we we don't go certain places because of who we're afraid we'll run into because we owe them money perhaps. And so we just, we live in a constant state of stress, anxiety, or fear. Well, the reality is that the Bible actually speaks to this kind of condition. It's found in the book of Exodus, and if you've been tracking with us for uh, any time here in our daily reading, Bible reading that's found on our website, it's called SOAP, Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. One chapter a day, we, we read it, we make an observation, we make an application, and we write out a prayer in our journal, or maybe on your phone in some way, but we, we're reading through the Bible. And so in August and in, into early September, we read through the book of Genesis, and then we started into the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible. And so we're looking today at Exodus chapter 1. We're going to find a story here that is, is very interesting to us. I think today was Exodus 18, so this was just a few, few weeks ago that we read Exodus chapter 1. This is the story of Joseph, 
And if you've read the, the end of the book of Genesis or you've been tracking with us in our soap guide, the story of Joseph is really found in Genesis 38 through 50. And Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. Those brothers then get him you know, to a foreign land where Potiphar buys him. He's a rich guy. He brings him in, makes him the second most powerful man in his house. Potiphar's wife lies about him, and then he gets thrown into prison. Eventually, he rises up in the prison, and he's made the most second powerful man in the prison. And then he interprets the dreams of two guys. One of them is, hey, I'm sorry, you're going to be killed. The other one of you, you're going to be restored to your rightful place in Pharaoh's palace. But when you get there, don't forget about me. And man, Joseph was like a lot of us, where somebody we did something for forgot about it. And so several years later, all of a sudden, Pharaoh has a dream, and that guy remembers, there's that guy in prison that interprets dreams because God is with him. He comes, Joseph does, and interprets Pharaoh's dream, and Pharaoh raises him up to be the second most powerful man in Egypt, and then there's going to be a, a season of plenty where they store everything that's, that's produced, and then there's a season of famine. And during that season of famine, Joseph's brothers and Joseph's family, they come. This is the, this is the, re, the result of the dream that he had had many, many years ago. And so they come and they see him and they don't recognize me. He says, hey, I'm your brother who you sold into slavery, but God meant it for good. Look at this in Exodus chapter one, beginning in verse six. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more that they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Now, we drop back in that story a little bit to recognize that Joseph and his family were living in what would become the promised land. It was the, the land that, that Abraham uh, had gone and settled in, and there was this promise to Abraham, and then they left, and they would go, and Joseph, once he brought his family, instead of them getting the resources that they needed and eventually moving back, Joseph and his family settled there in Egypt, and they would be there in captivity for 400 years years, 400 years. Later, Moses would arrive, and that's the book of Exodus, and God would, through, the, through Moses, the power of God would set his people free, and they would eventually work their way through the wilderness back to the promised land, some 400 years later, but they spent 400 years in captivity, and some of you are familiar with that related to your finances, because a few years ago, they changed the rules. They changed the laws, and so on your credit card statement, they had to tell you how long it would take you to pay it off if you only paid the minimum. And so you would read that and you go, oh my gosh, it's going to take me 400 years to pay off my credit. So some of you are very familiar with 400 years of bondage and you wouldn't have been had they not changed the rules. But no, 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 this, this story of Joseph is that God did not design for his people to live in the bondage and captivity of Egypt long term. The story of God and what God was doing is that he had a promise for his people. He had a land that he had promised to them, and he was making them into a great nation. And so his design was for them to live in the promised land, but instead they lived for 400 years in a place of bondage and captivity. 
Well, related to finances, we recognize that so many of us in a room this size are living in that same kind of captivity and that same kind of bondage related to our finances. We, we, we were just going maybe in a season of famine and we made some financial decisions and now we're still having to pay for them and we thought we would be out by now. Or maybe it was in a season of plenty, and so we thought, hey, we'll have everything that we need. And so we bought new cars and new things and new this and new that and the TV and the couch and the thing and the thing and the thing. And we just bought it, and we thought, hey, it's 0% interest, but eventually it stops being 0% interest, and now we actually owe it, and we're paying, and we can't keep up, and now we're a little bit upside down in some of the things that we bought in a season of plenty. And we're in bondage, and we're in debt, and so we don't even know what to do. So today, I want to give you two different things. I want to give you some realities about debt, and then I want to give you some bondage breakers, some realities of debt. First, debt obligates us to someone other than God. Now, when I say that, I don't want you to infer there that that means you're obligated to God or that God has you in some type of oppression or God has you in some type of bondage, but God desires for you to live in a relationship of freedom. God desires for you and he to be able to live in freedom and to walk together and commune together and to talk together and to have this freedom in relationship. But when we allow anything to enslave us, now we are obligated to something else and it robs us of the free relationship that God has called us to live. Have you ever had someone call you and you missed the call and you forgot to call them back? Nobody else, just me. Okay, well, I apologize to everybody in the room that I owe a phone call to. But, you know, in our present day, it used to be before cell phones where you could be, you know, kind of contacted at any given moment wherever you're at, they used to have to call and hope to catch you home or maybe leave you a voicemail on your answering machine. Some of you don't even know what that is. Leave you on the answering machine and then you would get the message when you got it and then you would, I just think people were more patient in those days of my life. But now people can contact you at any moment whenever they're thinking about it. They call you. And then do you have anybody in your life like I do in mine? They call you and leave you a voicemail and then text you to tell you to check your messages? How annoying is that, right? None of you have ever done that. Other people have done that to me. There's other, the other service. But anyway, so like they call, somebody would call you and they would leave you a voicemail and then they text you, hey, check your message. Just left you a message. Got it. Okay. And then if they don't get you, they send you like a direct message on Instagram. Hey, check your text message. It tells you about the voicemail I just left you. And if they can't get you there, they send you a Facebook message that's like, hey, check your Instagram that tells you about the text message I just sent you, that tells you about the voicemail that I just left. Stop it. I got you, okay? I'll get to you when I get to you. Thank you, right? Do you have anybody, just while I'm venting, if I can for a second. Do you have anybody in your workplace hypothetically, not mine, but hypothetically, that sends you an email and walks down the hall to tell you to check your email? Honestly, every time Pastor Trevor does that to me, I want to scream. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't want to scream. I just shut my door. But here's the deal. You feel obligated to those people, right? When they contact you, you feel like, hey, I'm supposed to respond to them. And so you, you, you feel the need to respond, but heaven help us if you see them before you've called them back. And then you got to make up that thing that's not a lie so you won't go to hell, but it's kind of a, like, I'm so sorry, my phone is broken. I just dropped it. Like, I just, that worked because I dropped my phone, right? I don't, it doesn't work any, I don't get voicemails in this zip code. Like, you don't even know what to say because you see them and you have, I'm so, I don't, so I'm, 
I'm so, you don't know what, but you feel obligated. To, well, that's what happens with debt. Everywhere you go, it seems like that debt wants you to know that you are obligated to it. They send you the mail, and then they call you, and then like if you show up, they're like, we can't, you know, we can't, we can't change your oil or see you at the doctor until you've paid this past due balance, and we can't, so we, uh, like everywhere you go, it seems that you are reminded that you are obligated to someone other than God. It's a terrible feeling, but that's what bondage does to us. The second reality of debt is that debt will rob you of your happiness. The world wants you to think differently. The world wants you to think that debt is a way for you to attain happiness. Well, you can't afford it now, but go ahead and just just buy it today and you can finance it, charge it. We'll give you great terms, great rates. It'll help make you happier. There's actually a credit card right now called Freedom. That's a lie. And if you have that card, that's okay. We're going to talk about some debt in a few minutes. I'm not trying to get on you if you have any debt, but it's not Freedom. It's It's bondage, and it robs us of our happiness. Look at this in Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. No credit card company I've ever seen, no financing company, no bank has ever said, come and join us, and we will make you our slave. But that's what they're doing. They're saying, you owe us. And we can actually mess up your credit and your finances, and we can make life miserable for you because you are now enslaved to us for as long as you owe us. The slave is, the borrower is slave to the lender. It robs us of our happiness. We were convinced that if we just bought this thing, it would make us happy. But it doesn't. Look at this third reality. Debt is pretending a lifestyle. Debt is pretending a lifestyle. When we, bar- when we buy something with debt today, we are actually borrowing against tomorrow to enjoy it today. When we buy something with debt, we are borrowing against tomorrow to enjoy something today. Well, the problem is, long after the thrill wears off, we're still paying for it. Like, we are pretending a lifestyle. And again, hang with me, because in a second I'm going to talk about something that may free some of you that feel guilt and condemnation right now. But so often we do use debt, we do use credit, we do finance things, not because it is an emergency, because we just want it. Well, I mean, I'll pay it off eventually. We We just want it. And so we're borrowing from tomorrow to pay for something today. We're pretending a lifestyle. Look at this, number four, this reality about debt. Debt was limited to seven years in the Bible. This is one of the only times many of you are like, well, I wish I could have lived in the Bible, right? Some of that stuff I can't get on board with, but I can get on board with this. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, God established a law for his people, the children of Israel, that debt would be forgiven every seven years. There was a celebration, actually. There was festivals and feasts related to a lot of things that God was doing as, a, as, he, as he brought them out of whatever they had been in for the last six years to really celebrate what God wanted to do in the next season of time, in the next seven years of their life and in the story of the children of Israel. So every seven years, they were set free from whatever debt that they were under, which tells me that some debt is not necessarily bad. There may be some things that you need to leverage debt for so that you can make progress that you might not otherwise be able to make in this moment, like buying a house. Very few people 
There are some, but very few people, especially when they're wanting to maybe buy that first house or earlier in their life, maybe before they have the means to do, very few people would have $100,000 or $200,000 or $300,000, whatever number it looks like in your budget, to actually just pay for a house free and clear. Very few people have those means. And so perhaps you would borrow, you would accumulate some debt there so that you could pay off and so you could get a house and provide for your family. Nothing necessarily wrong with that. But even when we do things like that, we want to use godly wisdom. We just want to use good common sense as best we can in those seasons of time. So just look at this for a 30-year note on a $200,000 house. Over 30 years, you will pay over $330,000 for that $200,000 house. That same note, over 15 years, you would only pay about $275,000. And that same note, over 10 years, you would pay about $248,000. Now, the reason that this is important is it's not that you shouldn't take out 30-year notes or 20-year notes. Or, this is not about that today. But this is recognizing that it's okay to say no right now and save a little more before you jump into something that's going to cost you more down the road than you ever envisioned that it would cost you. What if we started to think about our debt, not in terms of can I afford to make this payment every month, but we started to think about our debt in terms of how many years is this going to cost me money out of my pocket? So maybe I save a little more on the front end, so I've got a little more to put down, or maybe I can buy something a little bit smaller, or I can amateurize this over a shorter period of time so that it doesn't cost me for so long a period of time. Because here's what you need to know, and many of you are very aware of this, but the amateurization charts, the banks make all their money up front. They make all their money on the front end. So they don't care if you get in a 30-year note or a 20-year note or a 15-year note, really, because they're going to make all that interest, for the most part, on the front end of that note. So the longer that you're in it, the longer it takes for you to ever actually pay down what you're accumulating, the equity or the value in that home or in that purchase that you may need. And so again, there's some debt that allows you to make some progress that you likely could not make otherwise, But don't make a mistake in trying to get into something today that you could save a little more and get into something tomorrow and it actually be a better financial decision for you. In the Bible, debt was limited to seven years, which speaks to us about number five. Debt is not in God's long-term plan for your life. Debt is not in God's long-term plan for your life. He reset the calendar for the children of Israel. He wanted them to have a fresh start. Yeah, maybe there were some things that you had to borrow for. Maybe there were some things that you had to do. But ultimately, he wanted to set you free from that so that you could live in the freedom that he's called you and created you to live in. And so God does not desire for you to be in debt long term. Look at this in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Let no debt remain outstanding. Let there not just be this debt that lingers in your life. Don't don't let there be this debt that hangs over your head. Accept the debt of loving one another and just continually giving yourself to one another. Quit giving your money and your time and your resources away to other people because of the bondage of debt that we're in. So how do we, what do we do about this debt? If B is bondage, I want to give you some encouragement today. I want us to look at four ideas here I'm calling bondage breakers. 
Bondage breakers. If you find yourself in this circumstance today, or maybe you, you know somebody that's in this, maybe you would write these things down. Number one, commit to God and your spouse to get out of debt today. Commit to God and your spouse, if you're married, to get out of debt today. The reason that I put that and your spouse is it's not just a personal decision if you are married. You got to be on the same page with this. You got to really wrestle this one to the ground to make sure you're on the same page. You're both committed to the same priorities and principles as you move forward with this, or you're just going to tread water for a little while. But commit to God to get out of debt and make it today. There's no better time than the present. Commit to God to get out of debt today. When you do, you actually are making that commitment And you're beginning to move yourself from the borrower category to the lender category. You're moving yourself from the takers to the givers because you're setting yourself up to live the life of freedom that God has called you and equipped you to live in. So commit yourself today to get out of debt. The second bondage breaker is don't acquire any more new debt. As you're working to get out of debt, don't acquire new debt Now, I recognize that there are programs out there to try to help some people, and maybe there's some things that you've considered, and you're trying to figure out what things do I do, and I'm not saying they're all bad, but I am saying that if it doesn't take all of your debt and move it into something new that's more manageable for you, it's probably something you want to avoid. You don't want to keep your debt and take on new debt. Does that make sense? The idea here is that we're saying, God, I I want to be wise. I want to be a good steward. So as I'm committing to you, I'm not just going to keep doing what I've been doing. I, I, I want to make sure that I say no to anything that sounds too good to be true, and I want to say no to any new debt. You'll never get out of a hole that you're continuing to dig. You'll never get out of a hole that you're just continuing to dig and dig and dig. So you got to use the wisdom of God. Number three, put God first in your finances. Put God first in your finances. I told you last week, if you were here, that this was an area that I struggled with as a college student, kind of the end of my high school career, college, and as a young adult. Money was tight. There wasn't a lot of it. And it wasn't that I didn't love God, and it wasn't that I didn't want to honor God. But I just, as the, you know, kind of a, a bean counter in every area of my life, I want, I'm a rule follower, and I wanted, I, I just needed to keep control and in keeping control, there were times that I felt like the numbers don't add up. There's, there's no way to do this. And so God was one of the things that I did financially, but he wasn't the first thing that I did financially. And so sometimes God got left out and other things got priority. And I want you to use godly wisdom, and I want you to make sure that, that you're, you're trying your best to be obedient in this. I'm not saying if you haven't been giving God anything that you jump from zero to 10% tithe. But maybe you start with 1%. And you say, God, this is literally all we can do right now. This is all I can do. But I'm going to do this to show you that you are first in my finances. And Lord, as you continue to bring freedom here, this amount is going to increase as I honor you. And I told you last week, if you weren't here, you didn't hear me say this. This is not because we want something from you. The church is in such a healthy place financially. God has blessed us. God has been, I mean, such a blessing to us. We have no debt. God's blessed us financially. We're in a great season. I want something for you. I want you to walk and live in the freedom that God designed you to live in. And I believe that one of the ways for you to do that financially is for you to put God first. So just take that first step and say, God, before I pay a bill, honestly, like before I pay a single bill, even if it's just symbolic, even if I don't give it until Sunday, I'm going to write my check to you. I'm going to go online and give through the online or text it before I pay anything else because it's all going to come out at the same time, but I want you to know that it's first 
I want you to see that I'm putting you first in the area of my finances. And so we want to put God first in our finances. And here's what I promise you. And this is what I had to learn myself. Once you put God first, you will never lack Here's what I mean by that. It doesn't mean that money won't get tight. It doesn't mean that if you've been watching your account and you're used to what you pay out in bills, but you've never really put God first in this area, that there won't be some less money sometimes. But I believe, and I've seen this to be true in my life and in our life and in our family, I promise you so, that when I honor God first, it's like all of a sudden I'm exposed to the miraculous provision of God. It doesn't mean he shows up and I get free vacations. It doesn't mean all the time that I eat at fancy restaurants and do this. But it means that there have been times, I promise you, where like we did not have money to eat at all. And somebody just felt led to bring us dinner. We didn't ask for it. Nobody knew. We weren't telling a soul. And said, hey, we just just want to bless you with dinner tonight. If somebody felt led to write us a check because they wanted to just bless us or what? I've told this story before. I didn't tell this in the first service, but when I was in college, I was learning this lesson. I mean, I was broke. I was delivering pizzas for a pizza company, a pizza delivery company. And I mean, I was so, so broke. I had no money, honestly. And so I was sitting at a restaurant one night and I was struggling with this concept, this principle of God as provider and putting God first. And I was, I was given at my church and, and, and given what I felt like I could and doing the best that I could. But I was sitting at a restaurant by myself one night eating dinner late after my shift. And I just stopped in and I was eating. And I felt that like nudge from God that I was supposed to buy the dinner of the table beside me. It was a, I don't know that she was single in life, but that night she was by herself, a mom with three small children. I'm not sure she had eaten a bite because she had been chasing the kids around the table and the, there was more food on the floor underneath the table than there was on top of the table. And so I just, I, I, we weren't married. I don't even know if Courtney and I were even dating at this point, but I just, I, I, my, my heart kind of leapt for this, this single lady with the kids and I felt the Lord say, buy her dinner. I thought, Lord, I, I don't think I have, my card will be declined if I try to pay for that meal. I don't even, I think I got enough for my one meal. I don't have enough for three meals. I don't think there's any way. Me and the Lord wrestled, wrestled, wrestled. Buy her dinner, buy her dinner. Okay? So I got up just to walk to the corner because we were close and I felt like if I told the waitress, this lady would hear and it'd get awkward. So I just kind of walked around the corner and I caught the waiter that had been waiting on her and I said, hey, will you just bring me her check? I want to buy her meal. I said, do you know how much it is? (laughs) I was still working out the faith thing. I was still working it out. But I said, he's like, I don't know. I think it's like, like $30. I was like, okay, I think I have that much in my account. There wasn't like online banking at that point. I couldn't pull out my phone. and I was like, I think I got that much in my account. Okay, so he brought me her check. He brought me my check, and I put them together, and I want to say it was like $43 was the total. And I, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I gave my card in a whispered prayer like, Lord, let this go through. Like Jehovah Jireh, right here in the midst of Applebee's. I am praying, make it happen. I don't even know if it will, just make it happen. And so he took it, he brought the card back, evidently went through. I signed my name, and I sat there long enough, and I told the guy, don't tell her who did it. I sat there long enough to get the blessing of watching her be blessed. And he said, she said, hey, I need my check, I've got to get the kids out of here. And he said, somebody already took care of your meal. 
And she started crying. And then I got something in my eye. (laughs) I'm not crying, you're crying. And I got home that night. I got to my apartment, swung by the mailbox, opened the mail, and there was an envelope from my grandmother who lives in North Carolina that had been sent several days before. And I opened up the card, and I'm actually somebody that reads cards, so I read the card before I actually looked at what was in there. I, 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 at that point, I knew what had fallen out. I read the card, and she said to my first grandson, I just felt led to send this to you and tell you that you can't outgive God. So I'm not crying, you're crying. But I opened up the check and it was $50. Yeah. I didn't tell that in the first service. I don't know why I told it in this service, but maybe somebody here just needed to hear that just to be reminded that you can't outgive God. Several days before I was obedient in Applebee's, God laid it on somebody's heart to make sure that once I was obedient and I was wrestling with that and I recognized I don't have enough money for the rest of this week, God just dropped it in my hand and said, listen, if you'll stay obedient, I own it all. It's mine anyway. Put God first in your finances. The fourth thing is this. Develop a plan. You want to break bondage? Develop a plan. Don't leave it to chance. Don't just say, well, we're going to get out of debt eventually. We're going to do this thing eventually. Like, if you're not on a budget, get on a budget. Have a spending plan. Have an income plan. How much money do we bring in? How much money goes out? How much do I account for in my finances? And what needs to be paid out? Whatever we measure is what we'll do. And whatever we celebrate gets repeated So put a timeline on it. Decide by this time next week, I'm going to make this decision. I'm going to pay this thing off. By this time next month, I'm going to, you know, quit this thing, quit my gym membership, do this thing. Whatever it is that's robbing you of some of that extra cash that you make and throw towards some of this debt and get yourself out of bondage faster, come up with a timeline. A year from now, we're going to do this. Two years from now, I'm going to do this. Five years from now, this is what's going to happen. And then work the timeline with a plan. And that may require, I'm gonna say it will require you to adjust your lifestyle. There may be some things that you have to give up, but here's the question for all of us today. What would you be willing to give up if it actually looked like freedom on the other side of that decision? What is it you would let go of? Take it outside of finances for a second. What is it that you would give up if on the other side of that decision, it meant freedom? It meant freedom for you. What would you be willing to give up? What thing that you kind of like, you want to have, other people around you have it, but, you know, honestly, you don't need it. You just bought it because you just have it. Like, what would you be willing to give up right now if it meant freedom for you? Adjust your lifestyle. On a practical side, work a debt snowball. There's a lot of people that talk about this. I think Dave Ramsey was one of the first to coin this. But the debt snowball says that you lay out all of your debt side by side, and then you take the smallest amount that you owe, the $200 left on that thing, the $400 left on that card, the $3,000 over on this purchase, whatever it is. You just take the smallest amount and you work like you, like you crazy can to pay that off. 
And then you take the amount you've been paying on that and you pay it on the next largest amount and then the next largest amount and then the ne- and you just keep working that debt snowball. So eventually you actually make progress that you see and can celebrate. If you start on the largest amount or you start on the, the amount with the highest interest rate, it will take you too long to see progress and you'll get frustrated and you'll quit. So start on a practical level, start with something small and get yourself a win that you can celebrate. But work a plan. Trust God. And here's the reason why. This is the reason why we're talking about this today. This is the reason that this series is called Financial Freedom and not just finances for our lives. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Look at this. Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. Christ has set us free. So be free. Today, take a stand, put a stake in the ground, decide that this is your day. This is the day of reckoning. I'm not going back. It's going to take me a while. I may not see progress for a while, but today I'm deciding that I'm going to live free. I'm making the choice. I'm making the change. I will never go back to what I was. I want to be free. That's what God's called you to. That's what God desires for you, is that you would live a life of freedom. And the bondage of debt, the slavery, the harness of slavery that has bound so many of us is robbing us of the freedom that God desires for every one of us. So here's the question today. How would your life be different if you didn't know anybody anything? How would your life be different if you didn't know anybody anything? Take it outside of finances for a second. How would your life be different if you were not enslaved to anything? The substance the addictive behavior, the choices, the relationships. If you were set free from whatever it is that binds you, how would your life be different? How different would our church look one year from now if we were a people agreeing together to live free? That today we made the decision that we're gonna get free of whatever binds us, whatever enslaves us, that we're gonna make the decisions, that we're gonna pay off everything we can, maybe with the exception of our house, but we're gonna make the necessary steps. One of the things that I told you last week is that we're offering a life group in October, right at the end of this series. It starts, it meets on Tuesday nights, I think the second week of October. If you sign up, we're gonna give you this book for free. All we're asking you to do is pay like the $5 workbook charge. But come, be a part of this life group, work the plan, Get in conversation with others who are in the same boat you're in. Work with some godly leaders who want to help invest in you and help you find freedom. Let's commit today. We said that last week and a bunch of folks went ahead and signed up. You're not going to be alone if you sign up for this group. I promise you, it's going to be awesome. So many people taking those steps to say, hey, I'm ready. I'm in. Let's do this. What would it look like if one year from now you could point back to this day and say, that's the day that I made the decision to get free to get free because God desires me to be free. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment as we conclude our time together today. Nobody looking around. It's just you and God. Just a moment there, a personal reflection. As you say, God, what is, it, what is it that you're speaking to me? What is it that you're saying to me? What part of today really addresses where I'm at in my life, my circumstances? If you would say to me today with nobody looking around, Jeremy, for me, I've got bondage in my life. It's not even finances related. I've got something that has enslaved me, ensnared me, 
and I want to find freedom today. Would you pray for me? Would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. So many hands. Put it right back down. Now, if you would say, hey, for me, it's a finance issue. The bondage of debt is pressing. And I want to make the decision today to get debt free. And I want to do whatever's necessary to do that. And I want you to pray for me. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. God, we love you today. We thank you. I thank you for every hand that was lifted today. God, I thank you for every hand in both of our services that indicate that there are people who desire to be free. They recognize that your design for them was a life of freedom. And so, God, we pray that for every one of them today. God, I pray now first for those that maybe it's unrelated to finances, but they have something in their life that has ensnared them. Maybe it's addictive behavior. Maybe it's a substance. Maybe it's something else, a relationship. And God, right now, I'm asking you to bring freedom to their life. Let them make hard decisions. Let them walk out of relationships. Let them have some headaches for a little while. But God, help give them the peace and the strength to find freedom today. And as they walk forward, God, help them to stay in that freedom. God, I pray now for every person that's seeking freedom related to their finances and the bondage of debt. God, help them to make smart decisions. Help them to trust you like never before. Help them to have the correct attitude and mindset related to how you view money. And God, I'm asking you to do a supernatural work. God, help them to work a plan. Help them to put you first. Help them to be reminded that you cannot outgive God. And God, as we do that, would you be honored and glorified among us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.